You are now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. It's been a while since we've come at you with some Patriots news, but it's time to get back on the horse for obvious reasons. I'm Alex Shane, here with Rich Hill. Rich Hill, how are you doing? Oh, you know, I, I think Patriots Nation is a little bit quieter as of late. You know, we're still in mourning a little bit. But got to tip my hat. Got to tip my hat to Rob Gronkowski. As people know, he has retired Probably one of the the greatest Patriots of all time. Uh, I would definitely put him in the top five. He he has been just an incredible force, and I'm happy to see him retire coming off a Super Bowl championship. I'm just so happy for him. How do you feel about his retirement, Alec? Yeah, I mean, Gronk retiring obviously is the lead story, not only in Patriots Nation, but in all the NFL. Everyone's talking about the Gronk retiring. There's been highlights on and people reminiscing about him all, all week long. I wasn't upset in that everyone kind of saw this coming. I don't. This wasn't kind of bombshell dropped out of nowhere. This is a good move for Gronkowski. You saw his body breaking down. You saw the way he played last season. He still had a great game as a uh, season as a blocker. Couldn't really get the separation. Couldn't get the end zone targets, the red zone targets. Definitely the right move. And what better way to go out with not only a Super Bowl championship, a third one for him, but making like an amazing key catch to put the go. I mean, you, you're not going to go out closer to on top than that. And so while it's definitely shitty to see him go, uh, I'm not overly upset about it because it's definitely the move he needs to do. Oh, totally. I, I think that he's had such a great career. He hasn't spent any of that money of that big contract that he signed with the Patriots after his way. Well, I think it was only played two, three years before he signed that one. Uh, but he has been in my mind, the most fun player to watch of the Bill Belichick era. You could throw out, you know, I mean, Tom Brady, whatever. I don't even know who he is. But Rob Gronkowski, if we had to point out a single player next to Randy Moss, maybe Deion Lewis for the first eight weeks of 2015, how, how would you rank Rob Gronkowski with regards to uh, the Bill Belichick era, however you feel like it matters? Yeah, you know, it's, what's funny about Gronk, man, you know, the Patriots have known been known very well for being an all-business team. They show up, you do their job, they work hard. If you don't fall in and buy into the quote-unquote Patriot way, you're out on your behind, and that's just the way it is. Nobody's immune to that. So you don't really get a whole lot of personalities emerging out of New England. It's a great trade-off because the trade-off is win after win after win and six Super Bowls. I will gladly buy into that business model. But Gronk was the lone outlier. He was just this lovable doofus. He had a huge personality off the field. He's on Jimmy Kimmel and he's spiking microphones. He's on spring break partying. It was a really nice breath of fresh air in a lot of ways, seeing a player that was so dominant on the field and yet so boisterous and, and full of life and personality off the field. That's one thing we kind of missed out on as Patriots fans and all these championships with these really funny character guys, and Gronk was definitely that. So not only was he probably the best tight end of all time, uh, that's definitely a conversation to be had either on this podcast or elsewhere. Is he the greatest ever? But just also it was just a, it was a joy to watch somebody who just loves what he does and loves where he is, and it was very infectious. So I'm definitely going to miss that as well oh totally dude what would be your favorite rob gronkowski memory hoy 
You know, I probably the there. So I think the 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 moment that best defines Rob Gronkowski. I think I, I wrote about it when 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 Burned had the article about kind of we're all sharing our memories. It came in a loss. It was the AFC Championship game against Denver, where Brady hit Gronk on fourth and ten, and then again on fourth and goal. And both of the catches were in double coverage, where he came down with it out of nowhere. It was so indicative of the kind of player he was and how important he was to the offense and to Tom Brady. They needed a play. They hit him on fourth and ten and fourth and goal on back to back. It's happened all the time through his throughout his career. But probably my favorite Gronkowski memory is I think probably the the changing of the guard spike in London against the Rams <laughs> in two thousand and twelve or thirteen. That was an absolute blowout, and it was a kind of maybe the first time a lot of teams that people had seen Gronk overseas. He was relatively new to the league at that point. It was the middle of a blowout, and just a great celebration, monster spike. It was a really good combination of a player making an excellent play, making a good play for his team, and then celebrating in an awesome way. So that, if I had to kind of pick one Rob Gronkowski moment, it's that it's that awesome celebration and spike, I think. How about you? Uh, well, so I've been a big fan of all of these like homage videos that have been going around on Twitter where people are pointing out, like, these are his 10 best catches of all time, 10 best touchdowns, 10 best celebrations, yada, yada, yada. Love watching all of them. I have to say, my favorite play just might be throwing Sergio Brown out of the club. I mean, in all honesty, I know that it was very, very dangerous, uh, but my goodness, there was not a play that embodied Gronkowski more than that, than just the sheer joy of blocking. I think that was the Jonas Gray game. I think that was the Jonas Gray game, but I don't even know. I just remember Rob Gronkowski, you know, throwing that guy out of the club. And he was the most formidable blocker I've seen at the position. He was the greatest receiver I've seen when he was healthy. And just that combination, the fact that he'd be so willing while they're down by the, the goal line to say, yeah, I could catch literally anything right now, but I'm going to be such a technician and just block this safety for fun. I mean, there, there's no better Gronk <laughs> moment than that. No, I mean, we could honestly have an entire podcast just sharing Gronk stories. You know, that, that catch and run against the Bears where he stiff-armed like six guys. The one-arm catch against Denver at the goal line was absolutely ridiculous. Coming down this year this this year against Kansas City, that big catch on, on when they needed the points at the very end of the game. There's just so many Gronkowski moments that, that really define the Patriots of the 2010s. You know, these kind of dynasties that have gone on in the early 2000s and later 2000s just remarkable what he's been able to do for this team and it's really sad and we're going to miss him a lot obviously we're wishing him all the best and he's a, a general I think he changed the game for the better I think he changed the position for the better which is an interesting conversation in that do you think he's the greatest head end of all time oh I absolutely do I absolutely do I, I think when you talk about best versus greatest you, you can take that whichever direction you feel like taking it you know hard to argue against the longevity of tony gonzalez uh i mean honestly it's just is it tony gonzalez or is it rob gronkowski whatever your preference yeah. is if i had to have one game out of a tight end it would be rob gronkowski no questions no questions asked if i had to have one season out of a tight end it would be rob gronkowski if i had to have five seasons it would be rob gronkowski and so i mean when i look at it that way sure tony gonzalez had a much healthier career you can't devalue that he probably had more value at tight end over the course of his career just because of that but when i'm talking about best and greatest I'm totally just going to point at Rob Gronkowski. There's not a more talented player to ever play the position than Gronk. 
No, I agree. I mean, he's also the most dominant, most physically talented. I think they had the same. Uh, it definitely is. If you if you want to pick another tight end, it's got to be Tony Gonzalez. You can't really make a conversation to anybody else. Tony Gonzalez and Gronk had the same amount of thousand yard seasons, even though Gronk played less years. And Gronk's touchdown rate is actually higher. Uh, Gonzalez played a lot longer. I think he was like 16, 17 seasons, which is absurd for a tight end. Um, so Gonzalez has better kind of overall end stats. But the Gronk production rate is just out of this world. Um, and it only really looks close because of Gronk's injuries. Gronk was hurt a lot. That's the big knock against him. He missed basically the equivalent of two full seasons, which is crazy to think about. That would be had two extra seasons of Gronk in the nine years he played. He was only healthy for seven of them. His numbers would have been absolutely even more off the charts. He was only healthy for those two years. But it's not really his fault. I mean, the NFL kind of had Gronk rules. You could grab him and hold him at the line. You could hit him at the knees. You could kick him in the face. They didn't really <laughs> call penalties on Rob Gronkowski. And uh, the Patriots, you know, usually we don't freak out over offseason departures because they always find a way. But looking at the Patriots roster now, given who they've lost, now that Gronkowski's no longer around, this team is significantly weaker than it was this time last week. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We can talk about that right now. Let, let's look at the Patriots roster. Uh what are they doing on offense? Uh, based off of this departure of Gronkowski, they have the return of Steven Anderson, who spent most of the year on the practice squad. They have Jacob Hollister, who, I mean, has shown so much promise over the past couple of years, but has done nothing on the actual field. Ryan Izzo is a rising sophomore who spent the year on the injured reserve. And then their big free agent signing, uh, if you go up and down all of their free agent signings, probably the, the second biggest Matt Lacoste, who was the fourth string tight end for the Denver freaking Broncos. That is what the Patriots have at tight end. We can also go into all of the losses that they've experienced at wide receiver. Alec, what is New England going to do at tight end? Uh, well, the good news is, Rich, that for the earlier part of the 2000s, they didn't have a dominant tight end. Benjamin Watson was a good tight end, not a great one. So they got by without one. Um the bad news is they don't have the best tight end ever to play the game anymore. And even as a blocker, and that was a huge thing, and they lost Dwayne Allen, who's also a good blocker. Now, at this point, what I would imagine is the Patriots are going to look to a very tight end rich draft in April and probably draft a tight end with one of their earlier picks. Maybe not a round one pick because all the best tight ends will probably go top 10. I'm going to package some picks and move up. But there are tight ends available in the second round and third round. It could be a good fit. So I imagine they will not look into the free agent class for tight ends because it's pretty sparse for, for tight ends. But this draft class is pretty deep. So we'll probably get a tight end or two in the draft. Yeah, that's interesting. So if we're just going off of the tight ends still available, you got Austin Safari and Jenkins, who's young, but Patriots haven't had opportunities to get him before and they haven't brought him in. Uh, Levine Toyololo, who is just a 6-8 beast, but he's not a good receiver. So... There isn't really much talent at the position in free agency, but as you mentioned in the draft, uh, you got these two guys out of Iowa. You got TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. Hawkinson is considered the, the next Gronk. He is just an athletic phenom, but also a very, very good blocker. He, I mean, tight ends usually take a couple years to develop into the NFL, so uh, Hawkinson is expected to go top 15. Fant is the most athletic tight end in the draft. He's expected to go top 25-ish, maybe if he, there's like a small chance that he'll fall to the Patriots. This is really just a three tight end draft for however you feel about uh, Jace Sternbrenner uh, uh, coming out of Texas A&M. 
but really the third one would be Irv Smith coming out of Alabama. He's a good blocker. He's also pretty athletic. He's really shown as a receiver. Bill Belichick has that connection with Alabama because of Nick Saban. I would say Irv Smith, the other two Iowa guys, all three of them will be viable targets. There's just that chance that maybe they won't be available and then what would the Patriots be left with? You know, I, I think we could just be looking at another reimagination of the New England offense. Yeah, it's possible. Actually, another tight end I like coming into the draft. Again, we'll go deeper into the draft stuff closer to the actual draft day in, in April. But uh, one guy who kind of flew under the radar because he uh, had a foot injury that ended his season is uh, Caleb Wilson out of mm-hmm. UCLA. Um, he was a – I think he was probably the number one target for Josh Rosen back when he was playing for UCLA. Um, and he's a great run-after-the-catch guy. He's a good, not a great blocker. He's very quick. He's a little more of a, a receiver. Kind of, He's like 6'4", 6'5", and only in 240. So he's a little little slimmer than a, than a Gronk type. But I think he could definitely be available in the second and third round. So there are guys out there. But again, man, it's just it's – just, it's almost like – I mean, it's almost like a bad comparison, but Steven Goskowski coming in after Adam Vinatieri, he had some massive, massive shoes to fill. He's done a great job, and we all love us some ghosts, but he's never going to be Adam Vinatieri. So whoever steps into this position at tight end in April, May, June, whenever, is just in a very, very tough spot in that respect. Yeah, do you, do you think Matt Lacoste is going to do anything? You know, I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a two-year contract worth up to 4.8. Really, it's like a 2.8 for contract that has the opportunity with incentives to go up we'll see if he's actually able to do any of that but he has over the course of his entire career he's been in the league since 2015 as an undrafted player in illinois 272 receiving yards 27 receptions one touchdown i think this this is just patriots scraping at the bottom of the barrel here at tight end and they they just really need to figure out what they're going to do because i don't think they have a starting caliber player right now no they don't and what's also kind of scary rich is not just in tight end position but there are other positions around the nfl wide receiver specifically where the patriots went after guys pretty hard there are guys they wanted to bring in and just couldn't land them for whatever reason, be it contracts, issues, or, or how many years they were offering, just a better feel elsewhere, whatever it was. They're, I think they were after Jared Cook was a guy they were looking to get. They couldn't get him. There were a couple of receivers they went after. Adam Humphreys is the number one they tried to get, and they just could not land a couple of the receivers they were after. And so they brought in Maurice Harris. They brought in Bruce Ellington. And <laughs> uh, that's it. I, I've heard of he played for the Texans for a while. I know Maurice Harris had like a couple of amazing catches, but he's not a name brand guy. So it's still Edelman. They brought Dorsett back. So we know who those guys are they're capable of. But after Edelman and Dorsett, there's just a whole lot of nothing in that receiver position, Rich. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And so when I'm, I'm New England and I'm going into this draft, I'm just going to get like the three best offensive skill position players I can get, regardless of what their their fit would be in the current playbook or previous playbooks, whether they're wide receivers or tight ends or a freaking fullback. I'm just going to get as many of the top talented players I can get and build a brand new playbook because, I mean, that, that's what you're looking at. You're starting over from scratch. You're starting over with pretty much a new coaching staff everywhere, too. And unless you want to sign one of these veteran free agents off of the street, and we'll throw out a couple names afterwards to get your thoughts on them, but unless you're going to sign one of these old vets, you're, you're starting over. We're, we're looking at the Patriots in 2013 when, when they signed Danny Amendola. That's basically the state of this New England offense. It is, but I'll tell you something, Rich Hill, that they have not had in a very long time, which is a monster running game. 
They have a very good running game. They still have James Devlin. Sony Michelle had a, I think, one of the better rookie campaigns of all the running backs drafted, and they were a running team. Uh, very much a running team, which is good because I'd love to see Tom Brady shift more into a, a game manager role as he continues to get older. You know, he can still light it up if he has to, but you don't want to put the team on the back of a 42-year-old quarterback throwing to Dorsett Middleman as your only two targets. So maybe this can be a very run-heavy team, very old-school smash-mouth football, and they can get it in that way because, yeah, I mean, I – it's – you know, you never want to count these guys out, and I'm already – and I love it, Rich. I love it so much. I'm already seeing the – is this the beginning of the end of the dynasty that they, like, dust off like Christmas decorations? Every November, we get the old Santa Claus out of the closet, and every March, they get the old Krylon at the bottom of the screen. Is this the end of the dynasty? But you have to look at this team on paper, and uh, it's just weak, and, and they're going to need a receiver, which makes me think that maybe – they might trade for one because if you look at the Patriots draft history for receivers, early rounds one through four or so, a lot of swings and misses there. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, we all know Aaron Dobson and Chad Jackson and Bethel Johnson. And this is not not a good who's who of Patriots players. So <laughs> uh, it's a very difficult offensive system for players to learn early on. And so you look at Patriots rookie receivers who have done well. Malcolm Mitchell? I don't know. Like, yeah. Do you just go back to the University of Georgia and get Riley Ridley and say, all right, we're only going to draft players that have played within the option offense? Uh, spoiler, I think they should. I think they should just do that. <laughs> but we, we'll see. I mean, they have their scouting department. They have an idea of what they think will succeed. But, I mean, honestly, yeah, their, their track record is so bad. If I were to go out there, and if I were Bill Belichick, and we know that they've tried to turn over every stone, they were interested in the Odell Beckham trade, they were interested in the Antonio Brown trade, I would look at some of these other wide receivers that are coming up on the end of their careers or you know on the final year of a contract, and the one name that I think that the Patriots should absolutely go after is A.J. Green. A.J. Green, Cincinnati Bengals, entering the final year of his contract, He's like he's over 30 years old, so he's towards the end of his career. Bengals are absolutely not competing. They are at the bottom of the barrel of a not great AFC North. It's basically AJ Green's not going to be a part of a championship team for Cincinnati. If I'm the Patriots, I say, uh, here's our second round pick. We have two of them. We'll give you one of them. Give us AJ Green. We'll sign him to a two-year extension. That'll be a great use of our second-round draft pick. It'll fix almost every single problem on this Patriots offense because you look at a an offense with AJ Green on the outside, Edelman in the slot, and Philip Dorsett as the the speedster on the outside. That is a great trio. You got a great running game, and whatever tight ends you put out there. It'll be fine. It'll be good enough. You can maybe even invest your first round pick in that tight end and your offense will be good to go. I would love that to happen. Green is such a talent. There are two things that are preventing me from really getting all in on that prediction as much as I enjoy it. Uh, one, Rich, you're not the first guy to call that out to me, which makes it seem like one of those things that everyone thinks makes a lot of sense. It's a good move <laughs> for both sides, which is never what the Patriots do. It's always some trade you never see coming. And so the fact that we're talking about it probably means it's not going to happen. 
Also, Mike Brown, the owner of the Bengals, was interviewed recently, and he basically said two things. He said that we're going to let Andy Dalton play out his contract, make sure he can rebound off an off year and earn himself an extension when he's if he's worthy of it. And I would very much like to see A.J. Green get an extension and work on a contract with him. So Mike Brown would very much like to see that. Doesn't, doesn't mean it's going to happen for sure, but as far as I know, as of this conversation, the Bengals see A.J. Green in their long term. Dalton, maybe not. And so for those two reasons, I'm not going to bust out the champagne for A.J. Green just yet, but it'd be such a good fit, and I think he'd do really well in this system. I think he deserves a, a great quarterback throwing him the ball. What he's produced with a – Dalton's not a bad quarterback. He's just not a Tom Brady. So I think he would absolutely light it up, and it's so true, Rich. I mean, if they get A.J. Green or receiver of his caliber, this entire offense runs again. They, they need one playmaker like that, and the good news is they have the draft capital to get it. So they have a lot of picks in this draft. Just a matter of can they find a willing trade partner. Oh, totally. Yeah. So if, if if maybe the Bengals, maybe Mike Brown was talking about seeing A.J. Green get an extension with New England was the, the thing that didn't come through in the quote. Um, but there, there are other wide receivers, too. We can talk about two players that entered 2016 free agency. This is when the Patriots wound up with Chris Hogan. They were in the running for three other players that they swung and missed on that they weren't able to match their contract needs. One of them, Rashard Matthews, uh, coming off the injured reserve, so I doubt Patriots have too much of an interest in him right now until he's able to fully show he's healthy. He wound up signing with the Titans, but the two ones that I want to draw attention to, Mohamed Sanu of the Atlanta Falcons and Marvin Jones of the Detroit Lions. Marvin Jones, uh, he has, they both have two years left on their contract. Marvin Jones is the top receiver for the Lions-ish. Uh, Kenny Galladay has really taken over, but their offense, uh, I don't know. Marvin Jones seemed like he was slightly expendable towards the end of last season. He was in a part of a few trade talks. For the Falcons, Mohamed Sanu... Definitely no longer the the number two guy. You have Julio Jones on one side, and then you have Riley. Uh, sorry, not Riley Ridley. You have his brother, the Calvin Ridley, um, playing on the opposite side of Julio Jones. So Sanu's role little bit smaller than before. I would say he has two years left on his contract. Is that are either of those players ones that you would want the Patriots to make a play for? I'd like to see Jones. And, you know, obviously the Matt Patricia connection would maybe allow for some kind of I'll do you a solid. You got Trey Flowers. I let him go to you, even though you gave him a lot of money. Why don't you give me Jones? Mohamed Sanu, that's an interesting pick. You know, I guess the, the, the real question is if they wanted him bad enough in 2016, they obviously something in his skill set, his intelligence, his ability. I just wonder if he's a – a number one receiver. If it's him and Julian Edelman as your as your main two, and then Dorsett, I guess, is your number three, is he the kind of guy that can excel in that system, or did he play so well because he has a guy like Julio Jones drawing all the attention, and he can thrive at the, at, on the scrap, so to speak? I just don't know if I want to bring in Mohamed Sanu as a number one guy. But then again, how many number one receivers are there out there? And also, I guess the question has to be begged, Rich, how many people want to genuinely trade with the Patriots? If I wasn't other team, I'd be like, wait a minute, the Patriots want my guy. He's going to be awesome if he goes to him. He, Belichick knows something I don't. I'm going to try and keep him over barrel here because I'm sick of the Patriots winning. So I'm not saying there's some kind of collusion against the Patriots, but you have to wonder if you're an opposing coach, if Belichick comes knocking about one of your players, how much you're going to give up for him. So Jones, yes. Mohamed Sanu, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, like, wasn't that the whole story around Odell Beckham Jr. is that Bill Belichick was like, uh, we'll, we'll take one Odell, please. We we would love to acquire one. And then you have Gettleman and the the Giants were like, 
wait a minute, we, we have something here. The, if the Patriots are interested, we have to keep him. And then they trade him to Cleveland anyways. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you'll win some, you'll lose some. But, yeah, I mean, the, the Patriots have to make that decision of uh, can they acquire a number one receiver? It's something that they've been interested in doing over the past year. They wound up with getting Josh Gordon, but they've also expressed interest in Demarius Thomas, but he was wound up getting traded to the Texans and tearing his Achilles. So he is, uh, he, he is uh, not a very desired player right now as well due to all of his legal troubles that he's been going through. So Patriots are very interested in acquiring a top a bona fide number one receiver. They just don't grow on trees. They're far and few between. Do you have any other ideas on how you could fix the Patriots wide receiver and or tight end position? I mean, I'm looking at some available free agents who are still out there, still available, besides Chris Hogan, who I think will probably come back. He's probably testing the market right now, seeing his value isn't that high, especially after a down 2018, so he'll probably come back. There are some players that in the Patriots system. Obviously, none of them are true number one receivers. I think the only really number one guy who's on the trading block would be A.J. Green. I don't see Larry Fitzgerald coming to the Patriots. That's just not going to happen as much as we've all liked it to. There's not like a magic Calvin Johnson out of retirement kind of scenario. So it's going to be A.J. Green or Boss for the guys that are actually still playing. Demarius Thomas is available. Like you said, he's got too many legal issues right now. Des Bryant's still available, but he's off another torn ACL or torn Achilles, excuse me. He's a guy you could maybe take a very deep flyer on. But there are some players out there, um, guys like Mike Wallace, guys like Pierre Garçon. Uh, there's guys like, uh, Jermaine curse is available. So I feel like these guys, Jermaine curse is one of those players. If you remember, he just always seems to eat the Patriots lunch every time he plays them or what team he's on. Oh, yeah. He's on the jets last time. So maybe Jermaine curse is the guy that, you know, it's a classic kind of take a AFC East rival, bring him into the Patriots and allow him to excel kind of scenario. But I don't know if this might be an offense that they're able to build around a true number one receiver. Maybe like a bunch of number two receivers that just swarm around and, and beat you with a death of a thousand cuts kind of thing. So I'd like to see him take a flyer and maybe one of those guys, bring him in, work him out. Why the hell not? Yeah, I mean, if we're looking at the Patriots offense right now, unless you're treating Julian Edelman as that number one player and you can put him in that same Wes Welker type role that Welker was in from 2000 and, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12. And then uh, maybe give him those like 150 targets every single year, make him be like a 1,200, 1,300-yard receiver, unless you're willing to funnel the offense through Edelman, I think that the Patriots are just going to have to rely on the run game to to really take pressure off and away from the receivers because I, I don't see them being able to obtain any one of those, you know, if we want to point out, like, there's 10 real elite number one wide receivers and three elite tight ends. The Patriots aren't going to be able to acquire them. And, I mean, the Patriots are just going to have to find a way to make do otherwise. No, it's true. They are. Um, and they will make do. Uh, again, they're going to be fine. They always are. It's just a interesting scenario. There's usually a couple of players that are out there that you can just connect to the Patriots in some capacity and you see them fitting in. And it's just not quite like that this year. And Edelman, what's Edelman, 32 years old now, 33 He's not a young buck anymore, as great as he was. Um, but like I said earlier in the podcast, you touched on just now, Rich, they're a good running team. They still have Skarnekia. They have their entire – basically, except for Sonny Michelle, their entire draft class of last year got redshirted. So they have some guys coming in with years in the system that can, that can help out. Isaiah Wynn being the big one that's replacing Trent Brown. 
But uh, it should be an interesting, interesting couple of a uh, couple of months here. Is there any, is there any receivers out there that you really like that you think they might want to want to bring in that we haven't talked about? Uh, none that we haven't really talked about. But Chris Hogan. I mean, honestly, if if we're gonna reframe this Patriots offense and say they bring in a wide receiver of Chris Hogan's caliber or roughly there, uh, you know, if we we want to throw in the the Michael Crabtree into that category, uh, Pierre Garcon. Uh, if you were to add them to this Patriots offense. Really, the only big change is at tight end, right? I mean, like, sure, Cordero Patterson left. He got a nice deal out there, I, I believe, with the Bears, so that was good for him. Yeah. But there really isn't much other turnover other than that Gronk retirement. So if we're, if we're saying, okay, sure, losing Gronk hurts a lot. Losing Dwayne Allen, he was a blocker. He didn't do much as a receiver. He is a player that, you know, in all honesty, if you were to put – you know, Cole Croston out there, the offensive lineman, he would probably have a very similar offensive return at the position. So I would say that the tight end position going from a Dwayne Allen to a Matt Lacoste or having Ryan Izzo come back or giving a bigger role to Steven Anderson or Jacob Hollister, that's fine. I mean, they're, they're, from the tight end number two standpoint, that's that's pretty neutral. From a wide receiver standpoint, Going from Chris Hogan, or if they're able to bring Hogan back, bringing in Bruce Ellington, Maurice Harris, let him fight for that same spot that Cordero Patterson had. There, I mean, like that's Patterson was a great player, loved watching him. Wish he could have had more time in New England, but I mean, it's not like you were losing your number one or two or three receiver there. So, Patriots, if they can bring back a Hogan-esque level player, then you're really just looking at trying to replace Rob Gronkowski, who was an elite blocker, was not the same receiver last year. If you can get a top 10 receiving tight end, uh, you're going to miss out a little bit on the blocking, but the, the Patriots should be fine in the long term. Talk about bringing the guy back. Let's close with this, Rich. I think I know the answer. And we touched on it in, in previous offseason podcasts. Uh, Belichick was asked about this earlier yesterday, so I'll bring it up here. They asked if Josh Gordon was in New England Patriots in the 2019 plans in a very shockingly un-Belichickian manner. He said nothing about it, so we know <laughs> nothing about it. I know that the focus will be, obviously, and rightly so, on getting Gordon mentally healthy, getting him where he needs to be in his own personal life before he thinks of setting put on back on the field. But – He's still a talented guy in very limited action with the Patriots. He was excellent. He was really coming into his own before the bye week kind of set him off course. I know we shouldn't rely on Josh Gordon or expect him to come back, but maybe I'm just crazy in being a homer here, but I don't see I see a scenario where maybe like Josh Gordon can can play in 2019. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't count him out until he's officially counted out, uh, but I, I would just put him in that category of it's great if he's there, great if the Patriots are able to utilize him. But as you said, the priority is on his mental wellness. If he's able to do that, that'd be the the optimal priority. And anything that the Patriots get from him is gravy and, and shouldn't be expected. So, I mean, Josh Gordon, so much fun to watch while he was there. Would have really loved to see him take a bigger role. But I'm, I'm just not going to count on him. I'm, I'm just not going to count on him as as part of the Patriots offense. There's just too much, too many other things to think about with him. And you're a party pooper, but you're probably right. Last <laughs> thing I'll ask Rich before I let you go. Give me eight percentages. I want to know the odds of Rob Gronkowski coming out of retirement at some point this season, maybe late in the year, October, November, for a playoff push. He keeps himself in shape. He does some side gigs. He misses football. Pats need some help. 
he comes out of retirement and makes another final desert ride into the the sunset with a fourth Super Bowl ring. What are the odds that happens? Oh, man. I mean, I, I think that was my active plan for Rob Gronkowski last season was just to yeah, you know, make, him a, make him a healthy scratch every single week of the season until, you know, week 16, week 17. Let him get the rust off and then use him for the postseason. It's kind of what happened. I would be so happy to see that. I would say oh. it's a non-zero chance because Tom Brady on Instagram was talking about, uh, I hope that Rob Gronkowski gets more than 79 career touchdown passes from me, winky face, or something like that. So who knows? Maybe maybe this isn't the end of Rob Gronkowski. His agent also mentioned that this might not be the end. Players change their minds. We will see. Uh, I know that Gronk was trying to figure out a way that he might be able to take the whole offseason off before returning to the team. I don't know. I mean, I, I would say it's non-zero, less than 5%. There, There is still potential that he could return. And as you said, I mean, if, if the Patriots go through a season, players suffer injuries, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Gronk would like to come back for one more postseason run, and there would be no question of whether or not he'd be able to know the offense and pick up where he left. And I mean, if he stays in shape, anything is possible. No, it's true. Again, I'm not holding out hope, but we always joke about this, man. Don't we? Let's just keep hostile until December and then send them in there. And this would actually be the ultimate way to do that. Smart. You can skip out on training camp and mini camp and all the hard stuff. Come in for the good stuff, and you'll be fresh. You'll be healthy. You'll be 30 years old. You're still young enough to, to make an impact. Maybe the extra four or five months of rehab and not getting beat up will be good enough for you. They had a pretty good start to the season, so who knows? But, um, again, I think we really should be moving forward here thinking about the draft and who's available that's not retired because it's going to be an interesting remainder of the offseason for you, buddy. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And before we sign off, just a quick little runaround on the other moves and that the Patriots have made this offseason. Uh, Patriots have lost Trey Flowers. They've lost Trent Brown. Both of those signed two of the largest contracts in all of free agency. Trey Flowers went to the Lions. Trent Brown went to the Raiders. Uh, should really net the Patriots some pretty high third-round compensatory picks in 2020. Very happy for them. In response to losing Trey Flowers, the Patriots acquired Michael Bennett from the Philadelphia Eagles brother of Martellus Bennett, who won a Super Bowl with New England in 2016. Uh, and the Patriots also signed Mike Pinnell, former defensive tackle, defensive lineman of the New York Jets, uh, to replace the departed Malcolm Brown, who signed a deal with the New Orleans Saints. And so Mike Pinnell, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, is an upgrade. He's also signed for cheaper than uh, what Malcolm Brown received. So Pinnell and Lawrence Guy should be a pretty good defensive interior. Bennett's on the outside. New England's really rebooted their defensive front. Uh, pretty much everything else is roughly the same. And as we were talking about this whole podcast, Matt Lacoste is probably the biggest name that they have on <laughs> offense. So not a lot of movement over there. So that's basically it for the New England offseason at this point in time. They're middle of the pack with salary cap. They're probably waiting to see what other teams are doing, if other players get released or get moved around before the draft. But... I'm not expecting too many other big things to take place other than re-signing Steven Goskowski, who remains a free agent, uh, and then potentially an extension with Tom Brady just to kind of smooth out his salary cap. Yep. Very uninteresting, very boring. A lot of guys you haven't heard of. It is business as usual for New England in March. Oh, absolutely. And so until next time something interesting happens, Alec, <laughs> you have a good one. You too, buddy. See you. All right. Later, man. 